Boom. Tough acting to acting. This episode brought to you by John Madden. Nice. Illinois, dude. Football. Am I Rick, right? Let's talk about it. All right. All right. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Mets, did you watch that video that I sent you and Griswold? Dude, I did. I meant to text you and say thanks for sending that. It How- was so good. Like, how just true is everything he said? Yeah, 100%. It's have 100% ever, true. I feel left out for some reason. Dang, I should have texted you too. <laughs> no, that's all we had to say about it. Uh, no, I, I should have texted you, but YouTube, at some point today, Mother Teresa's doctor, okay? Mm-hmm. And this guy who, his name's Dr. Lombardi, I think. And he, Dr. I don't know. Prince Lombardi? I think so. I like that's who I understood him to be, um, but yeah, I couldn't be sure of that. Um, but he was like a young, kind of unknown doctor. I would guess like nineties sometime. He was telling the story of, and Mother Teresa had sepsis real bad, and um, is that the like the really bad infection? Did mm-hmm. I say that right? And uh, but they like couldn't get her diagnosed and so they somehow like found him in the united states and like just the story of him getting to india to treat mother Teresa was like um one amazing two hysterical and three if you spent any time with the missionaries of charity you're like yep this every word of what he's saying is just true yeah like it's just flat out true like they they just kind of told him he didn't know like who the person was that was calling him or anything like that. And they just told him like, Hey, mother Teresa needs help. She's really sick. And somehow they had gotten in their heads that like he was the guy to treat her. And so they just kind of called him and said like, you need to come to India tomorrow. And he did. And then they like, were trying to get him on a plane, but they didn't tell him when um, that they had gotten him like a standby ticket. And so everybody's lining up and it must've been like back in the day when you could go to somebody to the gate. And so the sis- there was like four or five sisters with him to see him off from I think New York airport. And they just started begging people in the line to give him like their ticket pretty much. <laughs> and I mean, just the whole story was just, it just keeps going like that. Um, and he ends up like, you know, I think he still does some work from the sisters is what I gathered. And, um, but he got to know mother Teresa through that experience and was able to help her. And, you know, dude, it took, I don't know, Mets, it took me, it took me back. I actually pre- preached on sister Rossiella's mad dash this weekend. So oh, did you? Nice. I'm like back in, I'm back in Haiti right now is where I'm at. Anyway, yeah. that's all. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I appreciate you saying it. I, I've been struggling with a head cold, just kind of sick all weekend. And there's something about being sick, man. It's just like, it's obviously not, not just physical, but then when you're physically sick, it like, it just puts you in a different headspace and you get all weird and, um, 
I don't know. Like I just get, I get super isolated. I just want to want to be by myself. And, and so the weekend was, it wasn't, it was, it was odd. Uh, I've just, yeah, haven't, haven't been feeling good. And so then you want to stay away from people. Like I don't want to get people sick and all this different stuff. And, and so then watching that video Sunday morning was, was really good for me coming out and having to celebrate a bunch of Sunday masses in Spanish. I'm like, no, dude, Mother Teresa, she did this thing. <laughs> she existed. And those sisters are still there in Haiti. And yeah, it's true. They, yeah. So it was, it was actually a great blessing. So I, I really appreciate it. Nice, man. Yeah. Can you forward that to me like it's hot? I'll do it right <laughs> now. Yeah. Forward we that don't want to leave you out, Bisque. Yeah. Is that a, 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 Michael, that's a Michael Scott line, isn't I it? I think so, yeah. Forward that to <laughs> me like it's hot. Uh, and it's on, because it's through the Moth series, right? Which is oh, yeah. all the storytellers. Yeah. So the guy tells it just very, very well. And at one point, actually gets choked up. Um, mm. Did you notice that part, Rob? No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, it looks like he makes a mistake, like he forgot. But I think oh, he actually. I, okay, yeah, I I did catch that. He, he says the first time like he a... sees Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa is like sick, dying in the, in this bed with sepsis, and she calls him over and she says, "I well, should I? I probably shouldn't spoil it, should I?" <laughs> no, do it, dude. Spoil okay, it. he says. She says. Um, this is the first time she's met this doctor that they've flown over from the United States to try and figure out what she's dying from. And she brings him close and says, I will never leave Calcutta. You will not disagree with anything my Indian doctors say because I need them because they take care of all of our hospitals and all of our sick pe- people. And they will not suffer that embarrassment. Meaning... Hmm. Like whatever they say is what we're going to do and you're not going to disagree with them because they take care of all of the people that I love. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> even if it means dying, yeah, you are not going to disagree with them. That was also the first thing that she told him to. So he yeah. had just like flown over from the United States and had never met her and she's laying in bed and he said he like, she like raises her hand and like motions over for him and just straight up tells him that. And then, like, yeah. dismisses him the from the room. Rules. Yeah. These are uh, the ground rules. I'm going to die to save all of my people. Okay. <laughs> now, in those parameters, good luck. <laughs> Dude, epic, epic, epic. Mm-hmm. Love it. Wow. Yeah, man. It reminded me of when <laughs> Sister Immaculata wanted you to paint a statue without paint. Have we ever told that story on the podcast? No, I don't think so. Mets, do you got that? Here, why don't you tell it? No, I just remember you like talking about when we were in, when staying with the sisters, <laughs> they wanted this statue. Was it the Blessed Mother statue that they yeah. wanted painted? Yeah, it was the Blessed Mother. And I think it was Sister Immaculata, right? Who was so yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, um, she like wanted so badly for this, um, the statue to be painted and had kind of like worked it out with uh, Mike and then uh, Mad Dog, who was an awesome gal on the trip. And they were going to like pretty much take a whole afternoon to paint this thing. And it had been like a fair amount to do to like kind of get this, not scheduled, but whatever, like working it out of when they were going to do it and all this stuff. 
And so finally it's going to happen and she's so pumped. And Mike asked her, he's like, oh yeah, um, so where's the paint? And it was just apparently like, oh, we don't have any paint. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But if it's God's will, he'll provide it. And then just like on to the next joyful thing Mm -hmm. of the day. Mm -hmm. Well, did did God provide paint? He did not provide paint. (laughs) I see. No. No, they had like put it in place. I think they had built the the frame that it was on, lodged the statue into the frame, and was like excitedly running around, ready for us to paint. And we're standing there at the statue, like, <laughs> "Okay, sister." <laughs> you know the thing about painting is, <laughs> and then yeah, like one instant she's ready to paint that thing, and the next instant she realizes we have no paint, and off to the next thing. Like wow. I guess it's not God's will right now, so. So there we went. Huh. Yeah. That's great. Could you guys imagine living like that? (sighs) Man. I don't. It's like the most. uh, Yeah. I have to say no in like, I think honesty, but it's also like the most attractive thing in the world to me. Um, because the thing with them, like my experience of them, which isn't extensive, but I guess a fair amount of experience with them is like, it's kind of the whole thing of like, they just live like under the presumption and under the reality that Jesus is real all the time. And so it makes like kind of the experience of it is like kind of crazy like that of like, no, we're just going to like go get this doctor and he's going to be in India in two days, you know, even though like no one else would think that like remotely possible. Um, Without a it, passport, by the way. That's right. He didn't have a passport. That was <laughs> the start no, of the story. He had no passport when they called him. And in two days he was in India with a passport and an Indian visa. Hmm. Yeah. The sisters just made it happen on a Sunday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> On a Sunday, they had the they had a passport created in the Indian embassy in the United States all come in on a Sunday workday and treat him like royalty so that he could get through and get to Mother Teresa. Yeah. Um, but that's just... So that story is obviously amazing. But it's kind of the same thing of like that little story about paint of like... <clears throat> why would we even think about like if we not if we have paint or not because like if god wills it we will or like paint will show up mm-hmm. and then if he doesn't like okay well um let's just go to the next thing and be joyful but i don't know if that's what you were kind of asking well, there because yeah. it's like a yes and a no for me cuz i have to like relate it to my own life of what that would even look like and i think in that way it honestly is super attractive and i wish i did it like had the capacity to do it yeah but i guess the difficult thing is where where is the line of your this is just bad planning mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah, not I even it's not like even bad planning it's, it's just that's a, there's just not a plan there's, there's like no, there's planning. no plan but i think they may they probably have an instinct for it's not like they don't get anything done because if you if you just are like, all right, um, all the toilets are overflowing. What are we going to do? We don't have any. We're not going to call a plumber. <laughs> we're not going to do anything. God's just going to provide 
like that's chaos but they must have a, a sense of when you're when they're relying on themselves to fix everything you know it's kind of a healthy um healthy sense of uh i can't fix every, everything is chaotic anyway especially when they're in really uh chaotic places like a haiti or a calcutta you can't um live under the delusion that if we just plan really well we can fix this place yeah you know what i mean um so it's sort of symbolic of the whole world in that it's all broken by sin um and we live in a pretty organized world of artifacts where we can live under the illusion that we are in control and so we tend towards the the sin of self-reliance um and then when things don't don't go according to plan we go nuts um well and and from the from the get-go from the start like mother Teresa never you know it it's the spirit that was given to mother Teresa this charism for this specific religious order and the way that she rolled like she never showed up with any sort of intention to change a system to like enact order in some specific way in in India like she just showed up and started loving people that were right there in front of her. And I, mm-hmm. I think honestly, that's what this looks like. But with, you know, however many thousands of sisters that they have globally, it's like an extension of that one person doing that one little thing multiplied by 10,000 or 20,000 or whatever. So I don't think they ever, they just don't think that way. Yeah, yeah it's it just it always charism oh, has uh really permeated the whole order worldwide cuz anyone you talk to that hangs with the missionaries says the same thing that that's how they are. Yeah. Um No, it reminds me honestly being around them and like even stories like that that video. It reminds me of but in like I don't know a smaller in some ways a smaller way or like more kind of ordinary way might be the better way to say it. But it always reminds me of when Baron used to quote at Mundelein all the time, the, uh, who was the architect in Chicago that said like, make no small plans because they, they Burnham. don't, they, yeah, they make no small plans. They lack the, the magic to stir men's blood. Um, and which is obviously like he lives that in such an like awesome way. And I still, I'm just in for that. I, I think that's very true. But there's like, there's somehow like they take that line into like the most ordinary circumstances of like making no small plans is like, yeah, kind of like ridding yourself of self-reliance or like the the delusion that like God isn't in control of your life. Um it's a pretty radical way to live, obviously. Yeah, there's this talk that uh, Jamie shared with me. This woman who has some kind of ministry in Africa where she takes care of thousands and thousands of children. <clears throat> and um, she was talking about her inspiration for the whole thing. And um, what she heard God tell her was something like, 
I'm going to give you a million children or something, something insane. Mm. And, um, she said, if it's something that you, if your plan is something that you could conceivably achieve, even if it took you your whole life and a lot of sleepless nights and hard work, then it's not God's dream for you. It it has to be something totally impossible. Um, that's how you know that it's actually God's plan. Whoa. Which is a nice thought, but it's also pretty intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that intimidating to you? Uh, well, because I still rely on myself a lot and think... Um, I preached about this yesterday about perfectionism. I've never thought of myself as much of a perfectionist, but I think it worms its way into your mode of being in in different ways sometimes subtle like where your identity is based on some attribute or performance you know and when you don't measure up or when you feel like you know the the one side of the coin of perfectionism is look at how great i am like the pharisee in the gospel um i do all this stuff and god must really be proud of me but then when you fail at those things which you most certainly will then since your your identity is totally based in your ability to perform now you're not performing so your identity is compromised and you think oh i'm worthless and you're still the center of the universe but you're just a piece of garbage at the center of the universe um rather than like finding your identity in a relationship outside of yourself um a relational identity where i'm unconditionally loved and belong to someone who's taking care of me um, and loves me regardless of how I perform. He, he wants me to be, be and do better, but that's not the reason he loves me, uh, is because of results. And so the idea of setting out to do something impossible, um, hits those pain points of it's like, well, what if I fail? Then I'm a failure. That's, that's who I am rather than I'm a, I'm a, you know, a tool or a servant or a, um, serving something greater than myself, you know, and I don't need to do it myself. And yeah, I wouldn't even want to do it myself because it would just be some, some boring achievement that I would be like, Hey, look at me. All right. Now what's the next thing? Rather than Mm. I helped, I helped my dad fix the car or something. And what's important about that was that it was me and my dad doing it. No, not because I now I understand cars. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. you. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe that's the Mother Teresa and uh missionaries of charity thing is just like constantly living like there's a bigger plan at work than just the plans that they have. Um and being open to accepting whatever that is as it as it comes forward as it presents itself to them. It's like, okay, wow, there's so God has this big plan in my entire life. Well, that means also right now that plan is manifesting itself in its ways in ways that I couldn't possibly imagine. And so I want to live in a way that is both detached to my own will, but also open to being guided by this bigger plan um, that I want to be a part of. And yeah, it's something that it does look chaotic, but it also looks incredible like fantastic when you're when you're around it um 
Yeah, which that whole Haiti experience, thanks be to God they were there with us because to step into certain places where they are without having the eyes and the heart to be open to like, there's something more at work than just what you're seeing right now. Like (laughs) it would be devastating to be in those places and to not be in that current of life, like that stream of reality because you would get crushed. You would just get utterly crushed unless God actually was doing something below the surface there that you kind of, you got a, you have to be open to being guided in that way. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, there was a crazy thing. Um, well, this might be a little bit of, it's still with mother Teresa, but it, I want to bring JP two into this conversation as well. If we can do that. Um, you just did it, man. There, there he is. <laughs> he was already here. Um, on on his memorial on his feast um october 22nd yeah i watched a bunch of just stuff on him and just kind of reminiscing and um one of the videos that i watched was a documentary on his final days like the the last days of john paul ii i think they did it and maybe it was a while back but it was a lot of people who were close to him as he was dying and throughout the throughout the video they were they showed a lot of different clips of him interacting with mother Teresa that, that talked a little bit about their special friendship that they had. And uh, have y'all ever seen clips of them like coming together and, and interacting before? Probably. I've seen certainly seen photos. Yeah. I've seen pictures, but I don't know if I've actually seen videos. It's like, <laughs> it's like the most physically affectionate display of two human beings of all time. That <laughs> it's like a soldier and coming home to his dog. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> you know when like the dog is just totally insanely happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that display. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that type of emotion. They're just well. If you watch, if you ever see any clips of them interacting and coming together, um, there's like more kissing that goes on in those two interactions <laughs> than seriously, like like mother and son. Like the the way that they seriously like hug on each other and kiss on each other and like physically affection, like display affection for one another. I was in every single clip too. It's like four or five that they show in this documentary from different times and different places. And they'll come up and just give these big hugs. She'll kiss his hands. He'll kiss her head. She'll kiss his hands again. She'll kiss her head. Then they'll hug, and then they'll just kind of like look at each other. And it, this is two celibates. Mm. This is two celibates right here that are like living saints. And yeah, the I guess the freedom that they have to love other people in this way that's like, um, even their physical affections are so properly ordered and disciplined and filled with love that they can just. It just like pours out of them. And so they see this other that has the same capacity to love and the same discipline and the same school of love. And it's just like, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing to see. But more kisses in those two, in those interactions (laughs) than... uh, As my dad would say, mooches, smooches. 
Smooches, smooches. <laughs> for sure. There's a lot of smooches going on. I was just, I was so struck by that. But they live, dude, those people, they live at a different level. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about uh, mooches, smooches there, I was um, thinking of the story that uh, Bishop Abraki will tell from time to time. Uh, He was at a mass at St. Peter's with John Paul II. And um, I think something about, I don't want to like tell it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that wherever he was sitting, Mother Teresa was like, in a, in the first row, but like somehow he had a very good view of Mother Teresa as well, where she was sitting. And as John Paul II was processing out, he went over to greet Mother Teresa. And who knows? Maybe there was mooches, smooches there too. I don't know. Um, but he said that apparently it was like very clear that John Paul II went to turn to like continue the procession out, but Mother Teresa was not done talking to him. And so she said she like in front of like all his security, like literally this whole group of people at uh, St. Peter's, he went to walk away and she literally grabbed his chasuble and like pulled him back and was just like pointing his her finger in his face, like telling him about something anyway. So who knows what it, what the conversation was. Um, but that's just how she operated was like, nope, I'm not quite done talking here, Holy Father. So you need to come back. And finish this conversation Man. during your processional at mass. Hmm. Man, where are those people at now, dude? We need more of those. Yeah. Who are they? Who would you say? Name one person in your life that you're like, okay, this person is on, like, any. It could be super, super ordinary, but like this person kind of seemingly is on a different level, or like this is one of the most free people, like I've ever been around. Who would you think of to that question? Well, I think. Uh, I guess my thought is the guy who preached my my first mass is Father John Titus, and I was on my internship with him at Mundelein, and uh, he's kind of hard to like describe via podcast of, you know, obviously like you kind of got to meet him because it to describe him would just sound like in so many ways so ordinary, but that was my experience with him was like, gosh, he's just he's just the man, like he's just so free there's kind of a at least for me there's this kind of like felt difference being around him than like pretty much any other human being i've been around um which is pretty cool so i'm not like necessarily saying he's the next john paul ii or anything although he might be um but there is something to that of like i you just know it when you're around somebody that's free um well i think baron yeah no baron would certainly certainly be in there too continue hennessy de gaulle yeah yeah gus all right those two they bookend our podcast every episode father gus and father de gaulle that's true man (laughs) ah i'm very happy about that (laughs) 
<laughs> but what is it about like I mean take one of them and like what is it that is there and like the experience of knowing them um they seem perfectly themselves hmm. you know what I mean um any any one of those men um and I realize they're all men I trying to think of women as well but I, I know there are some I can think of some but I don't want to name but um i don't think that they would obviously a saint never thinks they're a saint right those think they're sinners but um what i like about being around those people is you you're just like there's no there's no sense of a need to put people down to build up your ego there's no there's no smallness you know um mm. it's just but it's also not like look how smart I am at the big things I can say or big people that I meet. Um, I'm such an important big deal. And Baron certainly is a big deal. Um, but when you talk to him, it's not, it's not like that. It's just, he's, he can be goofy. He can be erudite. Um, that he doesn't put on airs, neither does Hennessy or De Gaulle or Father Gus or any of the, people i admire and want to imitate um there's no pettiness in them uh you know like mother Teresa grabbing john paul ii's chasuble i know some people that would grab my chasuble in, while i'm trying to walk out of mass and it's not it's not because they're saints it's because they're trying to control you or you know collect you or or whatever um whereas she's just perfectly herself <clears throat> and this is not a way for her to assert herself but rather just no this is something you you want to hear this you know um hmm. and we're friends and uh, she's not like saying i'm above liturgical norms um but there's a freedom there that like i can live within the matrix of the rules quote unquote while still um being totally myself uh-oh, we lost somebody. Uh-oh. Mads. Mads? Am I still here? You're still here. Oh. Bummer, dude. Mads. Does that Gosh. make sense? Yeah, man. It's awesome. It's awesome. No, that's it's how, just... That's how I want to be. That's how I want to be. I like that when you said no smallness. I like that a lot, Um, actually. And... But dang, dude. Like, it is... And whatever it is about, like, I know all those people that you, you named and it's just spot on. Um, maybe it's an identity thing, like what you were talking about earlier. I'm sure it is at some level, you know, of just like, what was it? Is it Flannery O'Connor that said, like, if you know who you are, then you can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true of like, if you know who you are and like kind of have that level of whatever it is, like self-possession or knowledge, um, then, hey, I mean, it's the whole, like, I was just, hey. we've talked about this what on the happened? podcast before. We got Mets back. Yeah. Can you hear him? I cannot hear him. Mike, oh. talk. Did, did I get dropped? You got dropped. Okay. Oh. Now you're back. Dang, dude. I wasn't gone for that long, was I? No. Did you drop some gold? <laughs> no, 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 Connor. Thank goodness it cut out in in the middle of the word. So I was like, "Oh, I definitely something just happened." Yeah. Gotcha. Mm. 
Well, I'm hoping this doesn't lose the app because it says cast has detected an error that could affect your recording. Please reload this page. Uh-oh. Since I'm free, I'm not going to follow the, their dumb rules and just hope that it is still working. Because <laughs> the time is still going up. Hey, be free, man. Nice, yeah, man. man. Yeah, no, it'll yeah. let you know. It's not when about you're... rules, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it told me that my recording had ended. Mm. It, it, mm. So I think it'll let you know if it does stop. Mine still says recording. So Same. I must be doing a better job. Yeah. This episode that's... is going great. Yeah. Brought to you by Folgers Coffee. <laughs> Folgers. Um, Actually, I am drinking Folgers this morning. Nice. Wait, so what was the conclusion of that? Rob is just dropping some gold. Oh, oh really? No. Well, no, it's just like all those people that Connor names. I mean, and we've ta- I think we've literally told this story about Father Gus like on the podcast before, but was it you, Mets, that like found him for a confession at a basketball game? And you, said, oh, yeah. in a sense, told him, like, thank you for, like, somehow always being there. And he was like, yeah, I just go where, like, I kind of think God is pulling me and then people show up. Like, is that, <laughs> yeah. is that pretty much what he said? Yeah, I yeah, like, I, yeah. But I was like, dang, I want that, man. Because, um, yeah, maybe that's, it's just hard to know, like, where to give your time to in... Uh, at least I find that. I don't know if you guys do, but like there's so much kind of quote unquote good stuff out there. Um, and days, and I'm not like the busiest guy in the world by any, by any means, um, priest nor just guy in general, but, uh, but it's just, it's so hard to say like, nope, I need to like give this person like, like a good chunk of time today or like this thing, a good chunk of time today. Um, cause you can always do something else or knowing when to take a day off and all that, um, stuff, but it takes like, yeah, I, I think a freedom of heart or whatever you want to call it to, to know where to be, like to know where God is calling you to be. And all of those guys that, um, like we named, like I have just had the experience of, like knowing that I'm not that big of a deal and all of those guys at some point have given me like absolutely undivided attention. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Like Hennessy knew my name my first day um, at Mundelein. Um, Cause it was like, it was at least the first week I was the, I mean, a brand new pre one guy at Mundelein. And I received communion for him. And he's like, I just, I remember him saying my name, like Rob, the body of Christ. Hmm. Um, and it's like, geez, man, like, yeah, he's, he's kind of a, like, he's a big thinker and like a big figure in that world. Um, but that's how he like chooses to discipline his life around like what he's called to do and what he's called to love. I'm reading this book uh, by a Franciscan nun called The Sacred Gaze. My spiritual director um, was reading it, and I just thought I'd I'd pick it up. It's kind of a quick, easy read. Um, And she's talking, that's where I'm getting some of this perfectionism stuff um, and identity. uh, What's what's your identity based in? And she said something like, um, it's based on Claire, St. Claire's writing, where she says to Agnes, one of her, uh, she's a woman she had correspondence with, encouraging her to contemplation she said to look into the mirror of christ um 
you know, how Paul uses this language of the mirror, like we see through a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Yeah. Um, and the paradox of the mirror is that, you know, like you can't see, you're the only person you can't see uh, unless you look out uh, at something. Like you can't see your own face unless you look at it in a piece of glass. And she said, like, the true mirror is Christ crucified, um, which, by the way, when you try to really meditate on Christ crucified, I realized that in my head, I have a lot of like statues of crucifixes. But when you really meditate on the flesh of Jesus crucified, uh, it's like really, really real and um, gross. And you think like, you did that for me or I did that to you. Like I've preached that a million times, but when you really let that sink in, it's sort of like, I don't want you to do that. You could see why Peter was like, by no means, Lord. Um, but she's saying that's the only way to see yourself is in his face. And then once you, once you do or start to, then you see him in all these other places around you. And you love what he loves and you love him. Um, so it makes sense that someone who, who knows Christ and has contemplated his faith. And Father Gus is one of these guys where every single day he was in the same pew or same seat in the chapel for an hour before morning prayer. Mm -hmm. um, you could set your watch by him. And he was not flashy, not like creating a media empire um he was a philosophy you don't professor. know that you yeah. don't know that <laughs> <laughs> post yeah, posthumously we'll find out yeah he could have like a alias on twitter that we don't know about but <laughs> but yeah you got the sense that if you stop by his office he was he was totally prepared to uh give you undivided attention welcome you as as if you were christ himself and that's it man that's how I want to be whether I'm unimportant or important or uh, in the eyes of the world or the church or whatever. Um, that's, that's what everybody said about John Paul II. Like when you talked to him, you were like the only person in the world, you know, yeah. Mother Teresa too. Hmm. Um, people said that about Bill Clinton, but I think it was a different, for a different reason. <laughs> he was a politician. Yeah. Oh but, dude, I just had a couple of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I think we kind of do that, like, I feel like Three Dogs North kind of does that with our silent guests, like, mm -hmm. makes them feel important. And yeah, you're sitting right here. Like, the gives, them this, gives them this huge gift in their life. Yep. And This so. is a seat at the table, folks. <laughs> <laughs> seat at the table, now keep your mouth shut. <laughs> uh, you know what I realized that, that I do? This is, um, well, this is, a, like, I, I guess a little embarrassing, but... That like even my desire to be a saint in some ways still has me at the center of that desire. That like all of those guys are totally free and in love with the Lord, and yet when you encounter them, the encounter ultimately isn't about them. That it's it it really is like an experience, an extension of Christ present on earth. And so in a lot of ways you meet them and it's much less about them and much more about the Lord than anything else. And 
I can still, <laughs> even when I pray, I'm like, man, I want to be a great saint like JP too, so that I can be awesome. Cause I know <laughs> <laughs> that it's awesome to be a saint. I, I want that. And so like the, you know, there still has to be a lot of, um, true and good purification of that desire, but I can still, it's like sanctification is in some ways, not entirely, but synonymous with like self self-realization or self-actualization and and i know that uh you know i want to be most fully myself and so the way that i want to go about doing that is i'm told that being a saint is the best way to do that but still like i'm i'm at the center of it which is how i know obviously (laughs) that that i'm not a saint Mm. shocker um yeah Hmm. yeah and so it's still like you said but it's the same thing with the perfectionism thing or when people struggle with scrupulosity and different things. Yeah. Where they, there's a misperception of reality in some way that causes people to act out of fear, um, self-preservation or desire for wealth, pleasure, power, honor. Um, there's, there's always something, yeah. In the center. That's not, that's not God in some way and oftentimes it's us um yeah so like with scrupulosity uh i can't focus on the lord because i'm so focused on myself and my sin that i can't i can't really fully experience his mercy um because i can't stop looking at myself um or perfectionism like i can't see myself correctly because i'm not looking at the lord but i'm looking at myself entirely um yeah, that's yeah. why that's what I said in the homily yesterday that the the flip side of self-righteousness is self-hatred or self-contempt. Um you're you're still at the center and your performance or lack of performance is the be all end all of your identity. But um I think a a helpful thought experiment would be to put the Pharisee and the publican as children talking to their dad and the one kid is like, look at me, dad. I did all my homework and I made the basketball team and everyone likes me at school. And I, I'm not like my stupid little brother who stinks and is bad at everything. Um, aren't you proud of me? <clears throat> and then the little brother is like in the back of the room, all ashamed of himself. And he's like, I'm sorry, dad, I messed up. Um, like which of those kids is going to evoke more compassion and love from the father? You know, um, the one is all, all wrapped up in his achievements and is really only saying these things to himself to to be like, yeah, uh, I don't need to look to the father for love because I know myself to be loved. Look at, look at all these good things I'm, I'm doing. He must love me. But the other one has no choice but to receive it in the form of a hug or a, it's okay, little buddy. I love you. You're mine. Um, it's okay. I know you feel bad. And when you go to pray, do you, do you do that? I mean, I I ask myself this question, like, am I able to be a son to God? And, uh, regardless of where I'm at and, you know, because even like the project of becoming a saint, like you're saying, Mike can be self-perfection, um, figuring out like, okay, this is where I want to be. This is where I want my, even if it's like holy stuff, I want to be more uh, have a more intimate understanding and relationship with Jesus and, um, good things. I want to make my holy hour. I want to, I want to 
do self-sacrificial things, but <clears throat> if it's not rooted in, it's, it's a, which comes for, or what's primary, what's the first thing? Cause those things are necessary. And certainly Mother Teresa and John Paul II and the people we've named and the people in our lives do that, the, the ones that we admire, but their freedom doesn't come from some attribute or like they're a really charismatic person. It's because they're, you know, like some of those people that we mentioned are weird, um, <laughs> you know, and couldn't couldn't be famous or maybe they could. But um, you think like a guy like Ratzinger um, being thrust into the role of like a world leader and celebrity was not part of his you know, capacity as a human being. He was just a really holy guy. And, um, you know, actually, he's a good example, I think, because he just didn't didn't see himself as like the end he he saw himself as a as a bridge pope between you know you follow this massive figure in john paul ii um who didn't make it about himself but because of <clears throat> what the world needed and and who he was and the way that god lit him up he was basically like ended communism and um really uh was the source of like the church's understanding of receiving the council and things like that. First, first Pope besides John Paul, the first after Vatican II, and just a massive figure. And, and then Ratzinger comes in and he's like, what am I going to try to follow that guy? Like go to world youth days and be, <laughs> and be that, that kind of celeb. I can't do it, but he was free, you know? Um, yeah. And in doing so provided for the church in about a zillion other ways. Right. As well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought of a definition, maybe, well, maybe it's not a definition, but um, this past summer was out in California helping out with some, um, well, life teen camp and was doing some training with some of the missionaries out there. And I was kind of preaching on, on this, um, on, on this tension between like, yeah, the Lord wants to reveal himself to, to the world through people which means that he's going to, like you said, light people up. They're going to be great lights. And he wants to do that with you. He wants to make you a great light. He wants to light you on fire. And then have a bunch of Christians who are inflamed with his love to light the whole world on fire and how he wishes it were already burning. And and yet at the same time, it's actually not about you. Like it's that fire in us is about Christ and so one of the things that I struggle with is like we go and give these vocation talks and um, well, we just you speak a lot. And so you have to speak a lot about your own personal experience. And so you're in a lot of ways, you're you're talking about yourself while also not talking about yourself. And like that tension that exists where you witness to Christ's presence in you um, by talking about yourself. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but like I said, it's not actually about you. <clears throat> and I. And so what I came to um, is like all these guys that we've mentioned and Mother Teresa and I remember Frasati. Frasati was the first one who really revealed this to me um, or at least allowed me to see it. Was a saint is somebody that you see and you think, I didn't know God could do that. Hmm. It's not like, oh, I didn't know people, like people could do that. People, tons of people have done that. But like I, I had no idea that this was in the capacity of how God could work. Um, and a, a lot of what, like why I say Fursati, um 
opened that up for me was like he was just the most fun normal guy that does a lot of the same things that I can do and Christ made him a saint in that and I thought I had no idea that God could do that that God could light a kid on fire like this who skied and hiked and snowboarded or not snowboarded uh <laughs> he was basically Sean White <laughs> <laughs> He was the original BMXer, dude. He was the X Games. He was somebody needs to Photoshop that. Frasati <laughs> with, the, the, with the pipe in his mouth, doing like a three sixty flip. <clears throat> yeah, he was a guy who smoked and uh, like had drinks with his friends and laughed and and played and you know JP two and theater and all this is like I had no idea God. That's how God worked. I didn't. I didn't know that. So I'm seeing Frasati, but I'm really. It's really he's a window to to Christ in that way, um, yeah. And so with JP two, it's like I didn't know God could take down communism like that, and like the most peaceful, powerful revolution maybe in world history that like these people rose up and defeated um, the Soviet Union. What are you talking about? From a pope who prayed and got people to want God and and then communism fell. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, on one hand, he is at the center of all of that, JP2. And then the other hand, it's like, that's Jesus. And you just see the Lord working in and through that. So that was that was my definition. A saint is someone that you see and you think, I didn't know God could do that. I like that a lot. Good. I like it too. Well, I got to get going. Good. Do we want to get something on the calendar? Yeah. Can we do that? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.